be with us in our worship service this morning. Um, if you are visiting with us this morning, we especially want to welcome you to our service this morning and ask you if you would feel comfortable to um, tear off a part of the bulletin and if you would fill out any information that you can to help us, we would try to make a contact with you this week and thank you for being here and our church family, thank you for being here this morning. Um, some opportunities of the week, some announcements on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, the women on mission are uh, serving cookies to the sheriff's office, so be aware of that. I think you all must be meeting at church here at 10. And then Tuesday night at 6.30, there is a missions development team meeting, so be aware of that. And on Wednesday night, we have our normal Wednesday night activities. And in addition to that, the properties team is meeting at 6.30, so be aware of that if you're on the properties team. And on Thursday morning, the Keenage Club is meeting at 10.30, so be aware of that. And also, um, youth and parents, there's going to be a potluck dinner at 5.30 next Sunday afternoon, February the 14th. So be aware of that, and there'll be some fellowship time and planning time for the youth fundraiser that will be coming up on February the 27th. So youth and parents, keep that in mind. And at this time, I'll recognize Judy Culver for an announcement. Good morning. I'd like to give a wonderful report about our women's ministry movie night out. For those of you that came, it was a wonderful time of fellowship and a very inspirational movie that we watched together Friday a week ago. We had 55 women. Some of those were church members and some were friends and, and um, co-workers and people from the neighborhood. So it was really a, a great time together. And we're going to continue with women's ministry uh, with several things that are coming up this week. Thursday night, we begin a new Bible study, and it's not too late to be a part of that. This is for women ages 18 to however, um, and you do not have to have watched the movie The War Room to participate in this Bible study, although that's the title of the study, The War Room. And it's five weeks long, and we will be meeting on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock in the Family Life Center. Also, I'd like to extend an invitation to you women to meet us for breakfast at Coal Harbor Restaurant this coming Saturday, February 13th at 8 in the morning, just for a time of fellowship. So uh, we'd love to see you there. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to have the youth come forward now. Hey, everyone, look what I've got. A gift. I wonder what it is. Hmm. I think I know. It, it must be singing. Singing. I knew it. I knew it all along. Hmm. I've already been doing that. I sing at school, you know, and in the youth praise band. Good for you. Uh, what did you get? I don't know. I'm too afraid to open it. Why? It's a gift. Yeah, but what if, something, what if it's something I don't like? Like, I have to be a missionary in a hot place. A bunch of big, hairy spiders. And why would you say that? Because I rarely get what I want, and I really hate big, hairy spiders. Well, you're not going to know till you open it, so come on, open it. Dancing. How am I supposed to serve God with dancing? 
oh, that's easy. You can teach homeless people how to dance, or kids, or uh, on the mission field. And you can dance in the youth variety show. I mean, I'm singing in it. We can perform together. Oh, yeah. How about you? What's your gift? Me? I'm a loser. I don't have a gift. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. I'm not good at anything. What'd you get? I got encouragement. Hey, that's pretty good. Not really. You can hurt people with encouragement, and people always think you're good at it. You're not going to use your gift? Nah. Too much rejection. <laughs> it's not true. There are a lot of people who need your gift of encouragement. There are some youth now that need your encouragement for their youth fundraiser from their church family. If I had a gift, I'd use it. But you do. It's right here. It's been there all along? Yeah, open it. Whoa, got two, speaking and writing. What can I do with that? Well, first you can tell the audience about our youth fundraiser on February the 27th, and then you can write about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Okay, got a gift you want to share? See, Leslie Luck, to share your gift at our annual variety show. Want to eat some great food, buy some neat baskets, and see great talent? Come out on February 27th. Doors open at 5 o'clock. See any youth for tickets. They're only $10 for adults and $5 for kids.
Thank you, Linda. That was beautiful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to give you honor and praise. You are worthy of praise. You are the source of all that is good. You are the source of all of our blessings. Thank you for every gift that you, ha that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come now and worship together this day. We ask for your hand of blessing on this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Paul reminds us in the book of Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And when he lives in us, we are changed. Are you changed this morning? Are you changed because Christ is living in you this morning? Let's stand and sing about that change. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Turn to hymn number 441, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart.
seeking mercy and grace. I come to the cross where you died in my place. Out of my weakness and into your strength. Humbly I come to Jesus came to restore broken relationships. God sent him because of our sin and the gulf it created between him and us. In the upper room that night, Jesus, after his years of ministry, came to a culmination of all that he had said when he tried to show the disciples by using the symbol of his body and blood as bread in the cup, he tried to show them the cost of broken relationships. 
And so he elevated the common elements of bread and the cup to an extraordinary significance in the life of a follower of Christ. He said to them, for as often as you do this, you remember me. And in remembering Jesus, we remember how he restored the broken relationship we had with God. Paul spoke of that in 2 Corinthians. How that Christ died like no other person because he died for all. Not just a few. Not just a select number of people, but for all. And so all these years later, we come together around the table. And we take the bread, the symbol of the body of Christ, and we partake. Because he said, this is my body which is broken for you, for as often as you eat it, Remember me. After they had eaten and digested the symbol of his body, he took the cup, his very lifeblood, and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, for as often as you drink it, Remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. We continue now to worship together and lift our voices in praise. For hymn number 564, Make Me a Channel of Blessing. Would you stand, please?
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness to our nation, giving us blessings far beyond what we deserve. We pray for our missionaries both at home and abroad, that you will continue to bless their ministry and use them to make an eternal difference in the lives of many. Father, help us to remember that when we give, we serve God. Now bless these gifts you are about to receive and use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we enter our time of prayer, I want to uh, let you know that uh, Bob Schneider is in the hospital in the emergency room 
Uh, he was having chest pains, and his blood pressure was elevated this morning. And he's always there to greet you at the door as one of the ushers, and I wanted to let you know that we can remember Bob in our prayers this morning. I don't know any other details. I got a call this morning about 20 after 7 letting me know, and uh, so I'll follow up later to see what's going on with Bob. But remember Bob uh, in your prayers. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, into your presence we come with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts for the privilege of being in your house and listening for a word from you. Also to sing praises to your name and to lift up reverence to you because indeed you have come to us when we were unable to go to you. We are grateful, Father, for the power of your love to redeem us through Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Father, that you chose to give us an opportunity to reconcile with you. Help us, Father, through our service and through our witness to show others the power of the reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this church and for what we can stand on here. For we know, Father, that as we give ourselves to you through Jesus Christ, we have a story to tell that can change the world. Help us be about just such a change. We're thankful this morning, Father, that we can pray on behalf of those who have need. We pray for Bob this morning, Father. Whatever his circumstances may be, whatever he's going through, we pray, Father, that you will be with those who are helping him through this time and that healing will come to his body. And for all of those, Father, that are in need, we pray for healing and hope. We pray, Father, that we could accept the forgiveness that you've given to us so that we can forgive others. We're thankful for those who serve around the world as missionaries, for their work in witnessing and introducing others to the Savior. Supply their needs, keep them safe, encourage them, allow them to know at this very moment that there are those who are praying. We are grateful, Father, that you have given us a mission and that you have provided for us all that we need if we only would step out in faith. For those who have lost loved ones, we pray for comfort. For those, Father, who are homebound, we pray that you will minister to them and allow them, Father, to feel the power of your love and our prayers on their behalf. Speak to us as we open your word. Allow your word, Father, to challenge us and to give to us a greater understanding of your work in and through us in the world in which we live. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
depth of mercy can there be mercy still reserved for me can my god his wrath forbear me the chief of sinners spare heaven find me on my knees hear my soul's impassioned plea depth of mercy can there be mercy still reserved for me Now incline me to repent. Let me now my sins lament. Deeply my revolt deplore. Weep, believe, and sin no more. Heaven find me on my knees. Hear my soul's impassioned plea. Depth of mercy can there be. Mercy still reserved for me. Heaven find me on my knees, hear my soul's impassioned plea, depth of mercy can there be, mercy still reserved, mercy still reserved, mercy still reserved for me. want to thank Robbie King this morning for leading us in the first part of worship. Last week in the deacons meeting, we uh, talked about uh, some of our lay leaders leading in worship. And uh, so Robbie volunteered today to do that. And I'm using as a segue to say that we'd like for others to volunteer. And if you'd like to participate, uh, we help you. It's not like you have to get up here and figure it out. Um, but we would like to give others an opportunity to do that, not because I don't uh, like doing it, but because it involves more people in worship, and we would like to do that. So if you're interested in that, uh, call me, see me, and we're going to work out a schedule. Some of the deacons have already uh, committed to it. You don't have to be a deacon to do it, and you don't have to do it if you're a deacon. So uh, either way, but we would like to uh, do that. 
Uh, so if you're interested, please uh, let me know and we will work on that. We continue our study of 2 Corinthians this morning in chapter 5. Uh, these are probably some of the most familiar verses in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to read uh, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, under the heading, Ministry of Reconciliation, and Paul references that uh, in these verses. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Young Danny was praying at his mother's knee. If I should die before I wake, he stopped. If I should die, go on, go on, Danny, said his mother. You know the rest of the prayer. Wait a minute, interrupted the small boy. Scrambling to his feet, he hurried downstairs. In a short time, he was back. Dropping to his knees once again, he took up the petition where he had left off. Finally, his mother questioned him about the episode and issued a loving rebuke. Danny explained, Mom, I did think about what I was saying, but I had to stop and put all of Ted's wooden soldiers on their feet. I had turned them all on their heads just to see how mad he'd be in the morning. If I should die before I wake, I wouldn't want him to find them like that. Lots of things seem fun if you're going to keep on living. But you don't want them that way if you would die before you wake. You're right, dear, said his mother with a quiver in her voice. She thought of herself and many others who should have stopped in the middle of their prayers to undo some wrong against another before proceeding. In this section of 2 Corinthians that we didn't quite get to today or want today, in chapter 
7, verse 8, we finally learn of the Corinthian response to Paul's harsh letter. If you flip over and read verse 8 of chapter 7, you will see, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. The movement of the discussion in 2 Corinthians to this point shows that before arriving at a rehearsal of the narrative, Paul wanted to lay a foundation for understanding the struggle in order to bring the Corinthian church around to its senses in the larger context of the gospel. Paul constantly called his churches back to the gospel. Now he climaxed the presentation of that larger context with a powerful statement of the gospel focus of all ministry. In this brief climax, we have some of the most memorable verses in 2 Corinthians. Indeed, some of these verses and phrases have been used to identify major vision statements for churches and ministries throughout the centuries. Paul obviously hit his rhetorical mark in these verses since they have become definitive for Christian work for thousands of years. One of the underlying truths that defines the thought is power in weakness. Even in clay jars, the impact of the gospel or individual lives and on individual lives is powerful. In the previous section, Paul's humanity was clear. Paul spoke of his weakness. But the impact of the Damascus Road, even clearer, power comes from him on the Damascus Road because that power is derived from Christ. And after personally experiencing the power of the gospel and the risen Jesus, Paul understood his mission and his ministry with utmost seriousness. Paul understood that the present business of the church in the world would expand into eternity. Yet for all of the gravity of such a task upon an apostle as establishing and edifying the church, God's treasure is hidden in clay jars even for apostles. This mystery is counterintuitive. Yet human weakness is proof of the power of the Spirit. This truth should encourage every Christian not to fear to engage in ministry because Christ uses us in our weakness. You see, we have to humble ourselves before Christ before we can be useful to Him because so many times in our lives we feel the need that it has to be done by ourselves. That we are the ones that propagate ministry, not Christ through us. If we could come to terms with the realization that Christ uses us when we give ourselves to Him in our weakness, then we can come to terms with what He is saying about being reconciled to Him and reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. For Paul always recognizes that ministry is gospel-focused. And a core part of the gospel is reconciliation first with God and then with others. Paul depends on realities of being in Christ to develop this thought. One cannot speak of being reconciled to God and not being reconciled to others. If you are not reconciled to others, Paul is saying, then your relationship with Christ is not right. 
Now hear that. That's quite an inventory test for us, isn't it? If my relationships with others is not what it ought to be, then my relationship with Christ is already suffering and not what it should be. You see, Paul made it very clear that following Christ costs something. Following Christ will cost you abuse, ill words spoken against you, pain, suffering, all of those things that go with the human experience. Paul said following Christ will cost you something. One cannot speak, though, of being reconciled to God and not being reconciled to others. This truth applies directly to Paul's relationship to the Corinthians. Because Paul's relationship to the Corinthians had been damaged by what was happening in the church. And so in verse 14, the first point we see is how Paul understands reconciliation with the Corinthians and how we understand reconciliation with others as well. Christ's love compels. Paul insisted that Christ's love compels us and this love should be the motivation of every believer. Paul now circled back to what he had said earlier in chapter 4. There he spoke of carrying the death of Christ sacrificially in our own bodies in order to reveal the life of Christ because he who died was raised. Then Paul indicated a theological datum embedded in the death of Christ. If one died for all, Christ's death was for someone, not his own personal agenda. Now I said that in our communion time, and it, it bears thinking about. Christ died for all. And if Christ died for all, then our understanding of why Christ died should make us aware that He died for you. He died for all of us. John 3.16 said it, right? For God so loved the world. That's everyone. Here is that unique death that is like no other death any other human ever died. Keep that in mind. No other human died for all. One might lay down a life for a friend or for a nation, but no death ever died has been for everyone. Since the death referenced here in context is participatory incorporation into Christ, then all is direct reference to all those so incorporated. By definition of incorporation into Christ... Then all died. So we all died in Christ. This is a continuation of the thought that he says, carry the death of Christ in your body. Even though all died, these are the very ones who live, but not for themselves, but for Christ. Paul said in another place, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Incorporation into Christ means death issues in life because Christ's death issued in resurrection. Paul in Romans used baptism as a symbol of this incorporation into the death and life of Christ. What a great love is the love of Christ. 
the death of Christ means nothing without the resurrection. We are a resurrection people. We are not the death of Christ. We are the product of His resurrection. We find life in the resurrection. Paul understood that and wanted the Corinthian church to come to terms with the love of Christ to die for all so that he could be raised so that we might be reconciled to God and live. Because what does sin do? Sin separates us from God. In reality, two ages collided in Christ. The old age of sin and death inaugurated by Adam was invaded by the power of the new age of righteousness and life in Christ. If we look to the window frame of the old age, we see the reality of sin and death marking the lives of humans. This frame is seeing things in a purely human way. The actual Greek expression translated by purely human way literally is according to the flesh. However, Paul may have meant more with the idea of flesh than simply human point of view. Paul likely meant the entire world system of sin and death defined by the old age of Adam. One could view the life of Jesus of Nazareth from the reality of the old age or as Paul said, in a purely human way. That Christ died. He died to sin. Sin leads to death. However, after the resurrection, that frame of reference no longer is possible. The resurrection is a window into a new world are the new age. The resurrection shows that Jesus was more than another itinerant prophet wandering from village to village. The resurrection shows that Jesus was the Son of God. If one now looks at life through the window frame of the new age in Christ inaugurated by the resurrection, one sees the reality of righteousness and life marking the lives of those who have turned to Christ. The difference of how one views life is one's frame of reference. Old age or new age? This old age, new age framework is crucial to understand as the background here because this construct better prepares us to understand what Paul says in verse 17. So understand that Paul is trying to take them from the death of sin to the life that comes through resurrection. The reconciliation with God took death to sin and life to all. But then in verse 17, he explains that further, doesn't he? This new age, old age adage. Anyone in Christ, he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, incorporated by faith into the new age reality of Christ who brings resurrection power into human experience, then that person is a new creation. New creation language was being used by Jewish writers in Paul's day to describe the world to come. The prophet Isaiah already had led the way in this type of language in Isaiah 65. For this person incorporated into Christ, old things, sin and death that mark the old age, have passed away. For this person, new things, righteousness and life, mark this new age. And these have come. His verse 
is a life application verse that we should memorize because this verse is the very heart and soul of the Apostle Paul's theology. He is saying very clearly that if you are in Christ, things are different. And if things aren't different, then you're not in Christ. You see how that all works? So it's a good place for us to start our inventory of who we are in relationship to Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Yet again, as Paul consistently did for any discussion of Christ in the gospel, he never failed to point back to God. Everything, in verse 18, he said, is from God. The bigger picture of the cross of Christ is God. Our relationship with God was shattered by sin. God took the initiative to reconcile that broken divine human relationship through Christ. In that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. You see, God took the initiative in Christ. God then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now Paul brings home all the power of his discussion of the recent narrative of the Corinthians and their poor treatment of him questioning his apostleship and rejecting his leadership. He could have just walked away in a huff. But why didn't he? Because what did he say in verse 14? Christ's love compels us. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, didn't he, that if you don't have love, you might as well just be quiet because nobody can hear what you're saying. So Paul was living out his very theology. The Corinthians had abused him. There were those who had called out his apostleship. There were those who had tried to tarnish his reputation. But all in the midst of that, Paul used it as a learning opportunity for the Corinthians by teaching them the truth of a relationship with Christ. That's always the litmus test to who we are as followers of Christ. The very essence of the gospel is reconciliation. The power to be reconciled with God is the power to be reconciled with others. Paul is proving the power of the gospel he preaches right before their very eyes. He is showing them the way. And we might say, but you don't know what people have done to me. You don't know what people have said to me. You don't know what I've been through in my life. Well, you know who does? Christ knows. That's why he died and rose again so that you would have the power to be a new creation with a willingness and a heart to forgive. Now, these words are easy to say, but hard to put into practice, obviously, or Paul wouldn't have spent so much time dealing with these issues. To make the lesson plain and clear, Paul repeated verse 18 and verse 19. Here is another life application verse to be memorized. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You see that word world in there again? For God so loved the world. What did he say? That is that God was in Christ reconciling who to him? The world. All. 
Note, however, that in the repeated statement, Paul includes not counting their trespasses against them. A key thought, because this message of forgiveness is precisely why he was writing this letter of 2 Corinthians. Paul had not counted the Corinthians' trespasses against them. Paul lives the very gospel he preached. You see, so many times in the world in which we live, we find people wanting to hold our sins against us, right? That's the kind of world we live in. We like trash on people. Because for some reason, somehow, psychologically, it makes us feel better about ourselves because we can point to somebody else and say, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And so when we hear horrible, terrible things happening that certainly require our attention, many times we are less likely to forgive than we are willing to accept the forgiveness that Paul is speaking of that comes from Christ. But we can't have it that way. Because I go back to the reality that Christ died for all. And Christ doesn't count our trespasses against us because he gave us life through the resurrection. So when we are seeking forgiveness, let us be aware that others need the same forgiveness that we need as well. And that's where our message comes in. Because we see the third point that he makes is in verse 20. What does he say we are? We are ambassadors. Now, we can't be ambassadors unless we are sold out on the one we are representing. Once again, Paul brought up therefore into discussion. He concluded with the implication of this work of God for the Corinthians. If this message of reconciliation is the essence of God's work in Christ and we have been called to participate in preaching this message to the world, then we are ambassadors. The word ambassador is borrowed from the political arena. The background of the Roman Empire helps reinforce the gravity of the word ambassador to these people. The emperor ruled the entire world from Rome. He administered his world-encompassing empire through the legates sent out to the provinces as ambassadors to speak on the emperor's behalf matters related to the security and welfare of the state. The ambassador was the official representative of the state. Therefore, what the ambassador said represented the very word of the emperor himself. Roman ambassadors were treated with all due honor and respect for fear of the emperor. In a similar way, ministers of the gospel are ambassadors for Christ. So once we understand that Christ died for all and through his death we are forgiven and through his resurrection we are given life and we believe that, then what we do matters. Because we are representing someone bigger than we are. Now Paul brought home the reality of his opening words of this letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse one or 2 of chapter 1. Jesus Christ is Lord. This confession strikes at the heart of Rome. In the gospel something more serious than anything in the official administration of the Roman Empire is taking place. No wonder then that we do our ambassadorial work with a conviction appropriate to the seriousness of the task. Certain that God is appealing through us. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading 
through us. No ambassador left Rome without the sure conviction of the seriousness of the task. Then Paul made a direct appeal to the Corinthians. Think of the profound effect of these words the very moment the letter was first read in the Corinthian congregation assembled for worship. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What a poignant and powerful moment for the Corinthians to recognize that reconciliation with God means reconciliation with one another and ultimately reconciliation for the world. For the third time in this series of verses, Paul made the point of the coming of Christ as the inauguration of the new age. The work of Christ on the cross absolves the problem of sin, which in this context is broken relationship. The expression to be sin for us is theologically dense. And lots of volumes have been written on what actually happened to Christ on the cross. One way to understand this is that Christ in his very person became sin. But another way to understand this is that Christ, in hanging on a cross, took that status upon himself by agreeing to hang on the cross. The result was that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that's consistent thought with the Gospel of John. Because if we look at the Gospel of John, you can search the entire Gospel of John and there's one thing you won't find in the Gospel of John that you find in the others. And that is no one helps Jesus carry his cross. It's never mentioned. Because John wanted to make it very clear to anyone who read his writings that what Christ did, he did because he chose to. No one forced it on him. No one told him he had to do it. He did it because he chose to die for our sins. So that we could be reconciled to God. The righteousness is a key signature of the life of the new age. In this context of restored relationship, the righteousness would be those patterns of behavior and speech that honor, respect, and edify our relationships both to God and to others. Thus, Christ becoming sin for us, however that is understood, involves the mystery of restoring relationships both with God and with one another. Can you imagine the number of words it took to write a set of encyclopedias when we used to use encyclopedias? It must have been an awesome number of words, but an even more amazing thing than this is that it only took 26 different letters to write all those volumes that we read. The authors did not go outside of the alphabet to assemble that massive collection of knowledge. It provided for them everything they needed for this one task. And then we look in the book of Revelation and what does it say? Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we do not have to go outside of him for anything that we need. He is God's everything for all situations. And Paul reminds the Corinthians of this in verse, these verses in chapter 5. So for us, like the Corinthians, the test of where our relationship is with Christ rests in where our relationship is with one another. You see that? Now that doesn't mean that every relationship's perfect. 
But that simply means that we are willing to go the extra mile to understand that if I am reconciled to God, I have to be reconciled to one another. Because after all, didn't he say in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That newness comes through an understanding of how Christ died for our sins, how he was buried, and how he rose again, defeating death and giving us life, reconciling us to God, and giving us opportunity to reconcile to one another. This is good stuff. Paul understands who we are. By the inspired hand, he wrote to let us know that if you want to know where you stand with Christ, then look around. And where you stand with Christ will be crystal clear as you deal with your relationships right now. We are reconciled through Christ. Therefore, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for your Apostle Paul and for his willingness to show us very clearly what our relationship should look like with you and with one another. Thank you that you took the initiative to provide for us salvation. Help us, Father, to take the initiative to introduce others to that relationship that we have so that they too can have a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of the things we see very clearly in this is that Paul speaks from his heart, doesn't he? From his experience. But the beauty of Paul is what we should strive for. He always put it in perspective, didn't he? And that perspective always included Christ. Where are you in that relationship? Our hymn of invitation is number 134. Jesus paid it all. Will you stand?
thank you for your kind attention this morning. I know we ran over just a little bit. A lot of information to put out there, and we missed a week. And I want to get this study done. It's a little different, you know, what we do the rest of the year. But I like the intensity of looking at one book and catching the theme in that book. So I uh, hope you are enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying preparing it for you because it is uh, very interesting preparation uh, to get to the point where we are and to be able to minister to you. Today is Benevolent Sunday, the first Sunday of the month. We use the funds that you give freely to help people who are in need in the Mechanicsville area with basic needs. And so if you are so led to participate, there will be deacons at the door to take care of that for you. Again, thank you for your kind attendance and for being here today. Let's bow. Yes. It's Sandra Favreau's birthday. It's also Wally uh, Yarborough's birthday. So I have to be careful because you've seen the one. Wally has gone home. He's in the first service. Wally turned. See, y'all know. I wasn't going to tell it. See, so. So when you leave here, say, preacher didn't tell how old he was. His people did. Okay. <laughs> Wally is 90 today, so I did tell it. And Sandra's not 90 today. So um, anyway, yeah, we can sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sandra. Happy birthday. You're welcome. I ran into her, uh, one of her sons today at 7-Eleven, wanted to get my drink between services, and they told me they'd taken her to breakfast already. So don't offer to take her to lunch. She'll eat too much today. <laughs> Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart today, we're always filled with joy at celebration and birthdays, milestones in our lives. We're grateful, Father, that you bless us each and every day and that you have reconciled to us through Christ. May we take that understanding of reconciliation into the world in which we work and serve so that we might share the love of Christ in our lives so that others would have the opportunity to hear. Bless us as we depart.